Welcome to Recess Duty, a podcast for educators to come together to share struggles, but also celebrate successes by sharing stories and ideas in a safe and supportive environment to collaborate with one another. Here's your host, Levi Allison. Hey, everyone. This is Recess Duty with your host, Levi Allison. And today we have something special. We are chatting with PYP nerd and friend Cindy Blackbird. We are flipping today's episode with Cindy hosting Recess Duty. We will be chatting about assessment capable students and how we empower students to be self-adjusters. Awesome. I'm so excited to talk with you about your goal, Levi. Uh, so thanks for letting me take over this ep- episode. So Thank question you. number one. Yeah. Question number one for you. Um, I'd love to just kind of chat about your goal for this year. So what's your why behind your goal? What were the needs that you were seeing in your classroom that you really hope to address? So here at Chadwick International, we started a inquiry project that all teachers had to look for a question that they wanted to explore for the past year or two years. And I have always known that assessment was something that I needed to grow in because the amount of students I have as a specialist range between 200 and 300 students. And to make sure they're being authentic assessing and making sure that students are really working towards being self-adjusters, I knew that was something I wanted to work on. So uh, like all good inquiries, it came with a question. So my question for my last two years was, how can I effectively and efficiently assess 300 students while still promoting student agency? And then that really took me off the starting line with a lot of different PPEs, a lot of different webinars, a lot of different talks, a lot of different books that have really been helping me shape how I have grown in my own practice of empowering students to be self-adjusters. Awesome. So really just kind of having so many students was the biggest impetus for it? Or did you find that like being a specialist had additional challenges for assessment? I think it comes with both. If I'm honest, I think having so many students, it takes a long time for us to build relationships with students because we only see them very limited amount of time. And then we cannot deny that the quantity of how many students we have limits how much time we can spend per student on how we maybe confer with them, how much we talk about goal setting with them. And it really has put the question to me is how much ownership do our students need to get to a solid point of self-adjustment? So what do you think have been your kind of biggest ahas in terms of self-adjustment in music classroom? My biggest aha moment was when I asked a student to do an activity or something And she looked me dead in the eye and said, but Mr. Levi, I've already done that. And I was like, I don't need to be there. Like, I do not need to be the one reminding or the one that is pulling or the one that's pushing students over the finish line. I need to set the groundwork of building strong relationships. I need to set the groundwork with expectations of what maybe our goal is overall. And then having student individual goals of how they want to improve and let them see where they go and really give them the time and space to work out their own problems and create solutions based on what they know and what they need. So that was probably my biggest aha movement was to just get out of the way and to really set some solid foundational community work, like relationships, expectations, honesty, and trust, and knowing that, yes, you're going to have 45 minutes to show me your learning. And how you use that 45 minutes is up to you, but I am trusting you to use it effectively and efficiently. And I saw so much amazing work from students when that flipped, that little nuance switched in my 
personal practice and in my classroom. That's like a thing that I've been exploring a lot recently that I really feel like I almost just kind of barely touched on in my classroom was this idea of success criteria and having mm-hmm. a lot of clarity under what we want students to know, understand, and be able to do. And especially finding the balance between developing that as an educator and having that with your team and co-creating them with students. 100%. So in your limited time, in your limited, like how do you, what's that process look like in your classroom? Because I'm a team of one, that is what I have going with me. I don't have to get into a room with a dozen teachers to develop success criteria. So that is one thing that I found that I can work much faster with. On the con sign, and there is a big con for that, is there are very limited perspectives that I am getting to make sure that I am putting out there what is really good work. So there's a lot of moderating with other colleagues, you know, my other music colleague, Paul Cho, my other music colleague, Kristen McGraw, and I also people on Twitter. Like, I don't know how many times I've sent a picture or an idea to my friends across the world. What do you think about this? You know, like when I first started building success criteria with students, I actually took a screenshot of it and put it on Twitter and said, I'm trying something new. What do you all think? And it was reshared and tweeted and retweeted and commented on. And so I created a version two. I did the same thing. I created a version three and did the same thing. And it's actually one of the things, you know, in our creating cycle, we have this moment of share and feedback of how they most of the time happen simultaneously. You share and get feedback and share and get feedback and share and get feedback. And that really worked in my favor because I had so many different voices and so many different perspectives happening that I was able to give my students a really solid template that was A, student-friendly, and B, effective, where they could build their own success criteria of what it means to be beginning in music, what it means to be developing, and what it means to be proficient. How are you scaffolding that? I had to change to using a digital platform for students to upload, to self-reflect, to say where they are. And they can do that by recording. They can do that by reading. They can do that by writing. They can do that by drawing. And... And then there's small groups where it happens, where I take a few of the kids who are really struggling or, or maybe have a little bit more questions. And then I say, this is what we're looking at. What does this mean to you? What does it look like for you? How can you show your learning of whatever the concept is that we're doing in music? And when they go away, they're walking out with A, why, they, why are they doing this? But most importantly, they're walking out with how are they going to do it? And then the what is up to them. What they do is entirely up to them. That is not me. But my biggest goal was to create the why, a a cohesive why, and then let's discuss how we're going to show it. And then what you do is completely up to you. I love that you came back to the the golden circle there. I feel like it's it's the organizing framework for everything. I agree. And it's, and it's so simple for our kiddos because they make, it makes sense to them. I mean, you've got three circles, one inside of the other. You know, when you build your family charts or you build your community, you use the same thing. So they're like, oh, the one in the middle is the most important. Uh, you're right. And we're all going to come to that together. Then we're going to go out here. And the large one and that larger one is obviously important as well. But that's going to be up to you. And that's going to be your agency. That's going to be your ownership of what that looks like. Because while I want us to all have ownership and understanding of the why, I still want us to make sure that we're all on the same page, that we're not just listening to music for uh, music's sake, but we're actually being purposeful about why we attend music. This is something we chatted about before, but can you speak to the disciplinary skills of music and how do you, 
how do you ensure that they're authentically being addressed if students are creating the success criteria and maybe don't have that deep disciplinary knowledge yet? This is something <laughs> that I have struggled with as a music teacher because as the expert, quote unquote, in the, and I use that term very loosely, being the music expert, it's always the idea that music is solely disciplinary, that it's only skill-based. And I will agree, there are a lot of skills that must you have to be aware of and proficient in before you can truly get the best about music. How I go about that, though, is entirely up to me. So instead of me leading lectures or worksheets, it's me leading a provocation and then we building on that with questions and then we build on that with exploring and then planning and creating a way for us to show that skill. And how we do that through that skill is by creating those success criteria and about creating that. I'm trying to go away from leading a linear success criteria where, you know, it's like three columns, one box, where it's like from here to here, where I'm trying to make it as a circle, where they know that even if they get proficient, they're starting to begin in something else. And it's a continuous loop. There, There is no end-all, be-all. And it takes out the negativity of what it means to be a beginner. Because I don't think there's anything wrong with being a beginner. And so when I look at how we develop... The disciplinary? Mm-hmm. And how I look at how we look at the disciplinary, it is through a very inquiry mindset. You know, if you look at Trevor McKenzie's book, inquiry is not a subject that you teach. It is a way of which you teach it. Music is what I'm teaching, but that doesn't mean that it needs to be a lecture wrote model, it can still be a very inquiry question oriented space for students. Well, and when you are an expert, you can lead with why. Like mm-hmm. I found that that was really difficult for me, like for math, for example, because I didn't see myself as a math expert, it was often harder for me to find the why. So it's harder mm-hmm. to lead with it. So it's beautiful that that's kind of the approach you're taking with your kids. Yes. And it is something that it took me a while. I won't say it is not something I was immediately into. I will be very honest and be like, I'm the music teacher. We're going to learn music. It's going to be great. And I was very passionate about it. But the more I realized that I am not here for every student to be Mozart. I'm not here for every student to be the next One Direction or the BTS. But I'm here for every student to walk away loving music. And how I do that is going to be much more successful if I'm listening to students about what they're excited about and what they want to be and still giving them that musical knowledge of what it means to be truthful what it means to be beatful and what it means to be artful because at the end of the day, we're all humans and we all are deserving of what mean of art in our life. That foundational relevance. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So what do you think have been kind of the resources that have been pivotal in shifting your thinking throughout? Oh, your life? I love this question. So I am a huge fan of Kath Murdoch's power of inquiry. I think that gives you exceptional tools immediately that can be used in the classroom. A huge fan. I'm ex- uh, a big fan of all of Trevor McKinsey's book, Inquiry Mindset, Dive Into Inquiry, and the Inquiry Mindset Assessment Edition, which is the one book that I did buy. Actually, it's the second book that I did buy for my personal inquiry project. And it's been really helpful in, you know, co-creating student learning, co-creating assessment criteria, conferring with students on what it means for them. And that's been really helpful. Another amazing book that I that luckily Chadwick gave me was Dylan Williams' formative assessment. I thought that was super helpful. A really amazing work on empowering students to take their own learning away and self-adjusting and reflection. The, the more I was reading about 
through his book particularly was the amount of reflection that is needed for self-adjusters. Mm. You know, in the old PYP cycle, you know, reflection was at the end. And now yes. within the enhancements, reflections throughout the whole thing. Can and you say that again for people in the back. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, and it was. And it was like it was that one lesson everybody like threw off and was like, eh, wh- why do we need to reflect? And it actually showed in his book and in the research he did that reflection is how you get students to be self-adjusters at the very beginning mm. instead of just at the end. And I was like, this is something that we I need to do more of because mm-hmm. it was something that I did not particularly do well at. Well, and when you hear it, you go, obviously, I don't know, for me, it was like one of those obviously moments, but we, until you hear it and until you really grasp that, mm-hmm. it's easy to kind of slip into old habits. Agreed. Absolutely. And it is easy to slip into old habits. So I always try to keep one of those books on a desk or on a, a shelf to keep reminding me of what it means to be building assessment capabilities within our students and really working to make sure that at the end of the day, it's their learning. They're, it's their owning that learning. And it's important for them to be able to know, ask the question, what's next? Where do I go now? How do I do that? And most importantly, why am I here in the first place? Might I get you to phrase this through like a thinking routine? Kind of the discussion we were just having through the lens of thinking routine. What are the things in your practice that you have stopped doing, started doing, and will continue to do? Oh, my goodness. The things I'm going to stop doing is printing so much paper. Oh, my goodness. I And I, I know I'm being a little bit dramatic, but when I say <laughs> I was printing thousands of sheets of paper a week, I am not lying thousands like when you were think like when you think of having 200 students or 300 students and you're like we're going to do this thinking routine you need that many pieces of paper then you're going to need more for the ones that made a mistake or the ones that ripped or blah 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 and then it's like oh we're going to reflect on that so that's more paper though then we're going to draft a question that's more paper so now i've really adopted like if i can do it digitally i'm going to do it digitally so that is something i've stopped and now that doesn't mean that i don't think there is time for paper because i absolutely use paper a lot I just don't necessarily print it anymore. I just make sure that we're using a lot of scratch paper. We're using a lot of like odds and end paper. I am basically a hoarder of all the scratch paper by the copy room. I just take all of the misprints and be like, we're going to use the back. And everyone's like, this has something on the front. I'm like, it's okay. We're still going to use it. I love that your assessment goal has made you an eco warrior. I just really, thank you. I just really was shocked because, you know, like I took, I wanted to take really detailed notes of what I was doing before I said, what do I need to change? And that was one of the things that was just a highlight that was like, whoa, yeah. you are using so much paper, Levi. Like you can, you can do better. You don't, we don't need to use paper for like this. So I use a lot of QR codes. I do a lot of digital recordings. I'm a big fan of the program Flat uh, IO. It is a music program that is allows students to create, compose, read, write, perform, play along. It's an amazing program. And I really am a big fan of it here on the recess duty. That's awesome. Yeah, Thank like you. We talk about evidence and evidencing mm-hmm. and the shift to tech. I mean, it just makes the monitoring and documenting process so much more seamless and shareable. Mm-hmm. And, and again, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with having, you know, physical copies out. I think there's a time and place for physical copies, but in the world of online learning and distance learning, all of our learning for so long, especially at the beginning of COVID, was online. Right. And I was just able to see how much easier it was for me to share and collaborate with students or even get students to collaborate on compositions 
when it was online versus when it was on a piece of paper. So that's something that I'm probably going to continue working on and working with is making sure that we're using tech effectively and efficiently and not just using tech for tech's sake, that there is a purpose behind why we're using this program. There's a purpose why we're using that program. It's been a really big journey of self-realization of what it means to me to be a builder of capacity in our own students. And with that took a lot of, nah, I don't really like that. Oh, I do like that. Let's, let's highlight that more. Let's get better at this question. I think that I'm, I'm working on right now is questioning. And again, Kath Murdoch has a wonderful chapter in her book about asking really good questions that are thought provoking that build off each other. And again, that's been really helpful in helping me create questions that aren't just music focused, but it can also be transdisciplinary. So like, what does curiosity look like in blank? So curiosity was the, the concept that we were looking at or the, the idea of what it means to be curious. So, and there's just a lot of what it means to ask really good questions about, it doesn't have to be just so focused on music that again, we're building learners here. And curiosity is just one example. Like what does patterns look like in music? What does patterns look like in PE? What does patterns look like in your literacy and math class? And bringing all of that, and you know, we used it as a traveling concept, which I'll be talking about in Total Ties this year. And about what that means to really tie with students learning together to create something new. And that was something that I was very excited about to see come at the end of my inquiry project. So is that one of the things that you're seeing yourself starting to do more is kind of that conceptual questioning across disciplines? Yes. And really making sure that there are questions that allow students to explore for multiple lessons so they can come back to continue on their journey come back, reflect, continue on their journey. And again, we're just showing what that means to be a learner of all disciplines and not just, I'm going to music, I'm going to PE, I'm going to recess, I'm going to world language, but more like, this is the question we're all looking at. What is that going to look like in my class versus what is that going to look like in your class? Right. How is music one of the tools for solving this problem? Yes, exactly. Love it. Okay. I think we did stop and start. Mm-hmm. Any things that you were doing before that were affirmed through this process that you really want to continue doing or would encourage people to continue doing? Yes, I am a huge believer in students do not care what you have to say until they know that you care about them. And I've always had like, when they leave the classroom, give me thumbs up, thumbs in the middle, thumbs down. How are you doing? Because I was looking at so much what it means to be a self-adjuster. I was like, oh, this is self-assessing of how they're feeling. Now it has nothing to do about music, but it's about how they're feeling. And I was like, I want to collect this data. I want to see how they're doing. I can track students' feelings and emotions throughout the whole year. And I can see what months are most students feeling stressed? What months, what weeks, what days? And now this is my third year doing this, on my, on my third year doing this. And it is apparent of how feeling students have during December, May, January of leaving to go home, leaving to go to the summer, coming back to school of what that looks like. It is, it's just a roller coaster of emotions, to be honest. And how I did that was, again, with three, two, 300 students, I used to do it on paper. Again, so much paper. So this time, I actually collaborated with a colleague of mine and created a Google form that was tied to a QR code that students can just scan on their iPad, hit a button, tell me why they're feeling that, write their name, submit. And we do that every day before they line up. So 
It is something I've continued working on. It just looks a little different than what I did before. But that's the whole point, right? Is like, how do you do something that you're really proud and very excited about? But how do you make it a little bit better? How can you make it a little bit more efficient and more purposeful? And so now I'm able to be like, okay, so we're on winter break right now. I know students are going to be incredibly excited to come back. And I know because I teach kids over multiple years, these are the five kids who are not excited to be back. What can I do to make sure that they're okay? What do, what can I do? Go and talk to them, go to recess, say hi to them, make sure they've got a buddy on the recess playground to play with. And so that's something that, uh, has, been a little spin-off on my inquiry project. Oh, and what a cool way that you're, I don't know, building the culture of the school. Like you said, even though you're only seeing them a quarter of the time or an eighth of the time that their homeroom teacher seeing them, that you're still prioritizing that relationship building, the school culture building is really cool. Thank you. It's something that I've been very excited about and very proud of. And it's something I've shared on Twitter, on LinkedIn, uh, with my colleagues at three different schools now. But it is something that I do believe is so easy and is sometimes not utilized enough. Yeah, the social emotional piece. I mean, if we look at Maslow's, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard for us to reach that level of self-actualization and learning and growing if if those base bare elements aren't being met. Agreed. And a colleague of a different colleague of mine, we were taking a Catherine Berger case workshop was uh, Maslow before Bloom. Ah, cool. I'd never have heard of that before, but I was like, that actually makes a lot of sense. You can't really get students creating if they're not getting the safety piece met, the physical well-being piece met. And I was like, "Mm, this is something I need to work on. And just even in my little world, like of music. So one thing that you've touched on in a couple of your responses has been your use of social media. And that's one of the things that I admire most about you, Levi. I just think that you do a beautiful job of of modeling what we're trying to get students to do. You're monitoring and documenting your learning journey. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if you can share, has that been fully intentional or what are the ways that you use your, your tech network intentionally to kind of document your learning journey? I use my professional learning network in a way that helps, hopefully helps others. You know, you never know what is going to resonate when you put a picture or a tweet out there. You never know. You know, some of the things that I was like, oh, this is going to be a really good idea. I think people will like it. I think it will help some people in their own classroom doesn't do well at all. But then the, the, the one-off, oh, look at what little Susie did on her See, Think, Wonder. She drew pictures and symbols to match her ideas. And that was just like, everyone loved it. And I was like, okay, so you never really know <laughs> what are going to resonate with people. And when I say, and I guess intentional, I mean, I'd love for it to be intentional, but again, I just, you never know what people are going to, what it's going to resonate with. You know, some of the conversations I've had with people are like, you know, I, I spend all this time and think about what tweets I'm going to do and who's, who am I going to tag? And I'm like, yeah, I don't have that bandwidth. I'm just going to tweet fun stuff that we're doing and that I'm proud of and tag my friends. <laughs> and but you also have your goals. And yeah. when I look through the collection you've curated, like we're going to be making this collection live on Toddle so people can take a look at all the beautiful things you've done in your classroom and how they connect to your goal. I have to believe there's more intention to it. It's beautiful duration. Well, thank you. I guess when I'm looking at attention, like, am I intentionally looking to post pictures and stuff to get a lot of retweets? No. Right. Am I intentionally posting pictures to show my progress mm-hmm. as an educator and show my vulnerability? And what does this look like? Does anybody have an idea? Yes. 
I try to really make sure that I'm using my professional level, professional learning network in a way that supports everybody and not just me. Because, you know, this is something Tanya and I have talked about a lot is it doesn't matter how many followers you have. It doesn't matter how many retweets you have, as long as you're learning and as long as you're having fun and as long as you're making connections. I mean, Cindy, I would not even know you if it wasn't because of Twitter. Right. And there's so many people I can say that about. And I, I truly mean that there are some amazing people out in the world that I would not have gotten the privilege and enjoyment of working with if it wasn't because of Twitter. So yes, intentional. Yes, I do try to use my professional network to share what I'm working on to get ideas of what I can do better. There is that. And, and it's always been great. You know, I always get feedback from like, Shandrani or you or Tanya of like, oh, did you think about this? Oh, did you think about this? Or then when Brian talks to me about about leading conferring group about using really good questions that are positive focused instead of asking, well, what was wrong? But instead of like, what were you really proud of that went right? And I was like, it's just those little tweaks that I'm like, oh, that makes so much sense. Well, and your authenticity and your vulnerability is what draws people in. And so it's really, I think that that's one of the things you've just done a stellar job with is that we get to grow and learn alongside you. And that's a really big gift that you give to people. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad that is my goal is again, we're all here. We're all here for the same reasons. And that is because we love what we do. Like you said it best when you were talking about like, oh, I was in a meeting with so-and-so and you're like, but at the end of the day, we're just teacher nerds. We're just nerds. And it's just a bunch of fun. Totally. And I'm like, that's exactly what it is. And that's, like when I go to these different webinars and these workshops online, I'm just like, I know all of these people and we're just a bunch of teachers that are nerding out about education and having a lot of fun. And that's okay. That That's what it's supposed to be about. Do you share it with your kids? Like 100%. The first couple of years I didn't. And then I started showing the kids like, look, this thing that we did, look how much 100%. people are it. It's crazy the response that it, tell me about that, about what that looks like in your classroom and how kids respond to it. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I have a beautiful story. So we did this little song about high and low and it was with kindergarten. And I, I was like, it's adorable. It's a, it's a song about high. They reach up high, reach down low, blah, blah. And I took a video of it and I was like, you know what? I think my friend Catherine's going to really like this. And so I sent it to her on Twitter. They replied doing the same song. Okay. So I'm in Kuwait. They're in Michigan, I believe. They replied with doing the same song saying, thank you for sharing it. And my kids, and I showed my kids and they were like, is this like a pen pal, but like a music pal? And I'm like, yeah, I I guess you could be a music pal. (laughs) And for like a couple of weeks, we just sent videos of each other singing different songs back and forth to each other. And it was a really amazing time for them to realize the power of what it is. And, you know, of what social media can do. And, you know, again, like if you look at all, like if you want to find negativity, you're going to find negativity. There's always the negative side effects of social media. But I truly believe that if you look at the positive and you focus on the positive and you highlight all the amazing things you're doing and you're aware of like the cons that it can bring, then you're going to be a better, better consumer of digital Well, because you become a curator and a creator yourself. Like I think teaching kids that what you put out there matters, that you can build a community, that you can build like-minded people. And the world is smaller than ever. And how beautiful is that? Exactly. And that is what I think is so amazing about this is, you know, the more years I'm doing this Twitter and the more years I'm overseas, the faster I'm realizing we're all connected. Like, you know, people that I don't know, but because I know you, we're connected by one degree of separation. And just going back real quick about, you know, my students 
sharing what I've been doing. I write a blog at LeviAllison.com and I had a friend, a, co- a student, a student, and he was in grade two and he signed up for it. I didn't know. You, I don't, I didn't know. It's a, it's a random email. So I didn't know who it was for two years. He's been reading all the blogs that I've written and just been very quiet about it. And it was when I posted, I'm starting a new podcast. Please check it out. He came to me running. He said, I love your new podcast. That is amazing. Good for you for trying something new. It's going to be exciting. Your voice is really funny. I said, thanks. <laughs> I was like, thanks. And I was like, first of all, thank you. Second of all, how did you know I started a podcast? Because I, I, didn't, I didn't tell anybody. I was very nervous about it. And now I'm very proud of it because it, people have been so supportive and so positive and caring about it. And he said, well, I, I sent, you sent it in an email. I said, like, on my website? He said, yeah, I've been reading them for years. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and so it's like, oh my gosh. So he, I have a student in grade four that just listens to every episode every week. And he's like, I don't really understand all the things you talk about, but I'm just excited to hear people talk. It was the one moment I think this year that I almost started crying in the classroom because I was like, obviously something I've done for this kid has resonated with him where he wants to listen to a bunch of teachers talk after school. <laughs> and so I was so funny because on the playground, he had his computer and he, I, I saw him listening to it on the playground in his Mac. And I was just like, oh, he really does listen. It was a very touching moment for me. He's going to be cheesing so hard when he hears this podcast. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, he is. I love that. Uh, and I think that really what I love about the PYP, you know, to come back to being PYP nerds is that as you become a better PYP teacher, you become a better PYP learner yourself. And it becomes this ecosystem that grows around you. And that's amazing. If I don't know, because again, I always say I'm not the expert in music. I'm just a facilitator. I know some things, but I know other people in music who are better at something. And if you're wanting, so like, for instance, I had an exhibition group last year. They, used, they were a group of girls that wanted to learn about female composers. I have a, a wonderful friend, Dr. Lisa Neer, who is a female composer, professional composer, and we connected it through social media. And it's it's never about what you know, it's about who can we ask to help? And that's what I think going to the exhibition a little bit is such an amazing moment for the, for the PYP community because most of the time we're all going through it at the end of the year. We're all looking for wonderful quote unquote experts in different various groups because you know you have concepts and units of inquiry that run the gambit. And it's never the teacher being the expert, like the homeroom teacher being the expert for all students. It's well, I have a colleague in Switzerland, I have a colleague in Vietnam, I have a colleague in South Africa. Let's all tie these people together to bring you. And I just think that's an, a beautiful example of what it means to be internationally minded, a lifelong learner, and somebody that is trying to build this network of people to A, come together and B, share. You're a PYP nerd too, and I love it. <laughs> yes, very much. I, I really do. I really do love the PYP. So coming back to your goal, just, I know we're probably getting pretty tight on time. But I'm wondering about thinking about self-adjustment and goal setting and empowering assessment capable students. Mm-hmm. What are the what are the challenges that you're still facing now? What are the the sticking points you face? The sticking points that I'm facing right now is I'm fighting an understanding of beginning is bad, proficient is best. Mm. I'm having some challenges with getting students to realize that even though they're proficient now, 
they're going to be a beginner in something, the next concept, because that's the cycle. You know, it's not 2D. It's not linear. It's not point A to point B. It's a circle and it's continuous. It never stops. That is something that we just started working on before winter break and is something we're going to continue to talk about. I use the analogy of stairs a lot, even though that is point A to point B. But I always ask them, that top stair, is it more or less important than this bottom stair? And they said, and they always say more. And I was like, okay, tell me why, tell me why, tell me why. I was like, okay. So then I, I, I take a sheet of paper and I put it on the bottom stair. I was like, all right, get to the top stair without using this step. They, they'll jump. I was like, that's fine. I had another piece of paper, two steps. All right. Without using these two steps, they'll get to the top stair. They do. And I do that like three, four, five until they can't. And I said, so I'm going to ask the question again. Is that top stair more important than these bottom stairs? And they always say no. I was like, why? Because we need these steps to get there. And I said, exactly. We need to be able to be a beginner for us to be proficient. And there's nothing wrong with that. That is something that I'm hoping we can continue to discussing in person because trying to have this conversation online with students is very difficult. So when you have that physical aspect, it's much easier. What a cool mindset, that resilience mindset, that open mindset. So cool. Thank you. Thank you. But it is a sticking point. And I think especially in specific culture, in certain cultures, especially that can be a really big shift of thinking of the struggle is often the most beautiful part of the journey. But even for ourselves, that can feel hard. Yes. And it, it is very vulnerable. You know, Brene Brown talks about vulnerability being the key of growth. You know, how are you supposed to grow if you do not identify what it is that you're struggling with? How are you supposed to get better at it if you're, if you're scared of sharing what your vulnerability is? And I tell the students all the time, you know, like when I first used Flat or when I first used Flipgrid and all of these different tools or when a different piece we were working on, I was like, this is the first time I've ever used this. This is the first time I've ever taught this tool. This is the first time I've taught this piece, looked at this piece. I'm going to make mistakes and that's okay. And I have a giant chart with the cycle on it. And I, and I put a sticky note proudly and I say, Mr. Levi on it. And I put it squarely on beginner. And I said, I am a beginner right now. And we're going to work together for me to move on. I want you to think about where you are. So we're getting to the point where students are feeling more comfortable, put their sticky note, identifying to the community where they are. And that would be something I would love for us to see, because then I could ask them, all right, go find somebody who's proficient, work together, see if you can clear up some misunderstandings. That's my goal. That's my next step is to create a room full of teachers. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and But I do think it's worthwhile to have those students be like, I am able to explain this in a way that helps somebody else. And I think that's something that we're missing right now in my classroom because people are still very nervous of sharing where they are on that, that cycle. What a worthwhile goal to work towards. Thank you. That will serve in other, dis- like that is the most transdisciplinary skills, having vulnerability oh. and the ability to not be intimidated by experts. Exactly. And that's what I really wanted to do. And I'm so excited because I have these like meter by meter cycles. So they're huge (laughs) printed and it just has a a line in the middle. And I think I have five of them. And so I'm going to have rhythm on a whiteboard. I haven't laminated a rhythm on the middle. I'm like, where are you on this? And then pitch and then melody and then form and then all of these different. And I'm like, where are we on this? 
they put it up there, take a picture, everybody takes a picture. And so I've got these massive laminated cycles up where everybody can see that, okay, I'm a beginner here. I can go talk to Johnny. I'm developing here for pitch. I can go talk to Jimmy and see the quote unquote experts who are willing to able to help others. That's so great. When you when you get kids to that level, we kind of got there at the end of my grade five class. And just like, especially during math class to have a room full of experts that they can all kind of confer mm-hmm. with, it really fills the heart with joy. It really does. And when you say grade five, I'm talking specifically about grade three. And I want to make this clear for the wider community. This looks different for every group, for every kid, for every context, because I know my first graders would really struggle with this. But that doesn't mean they can't do it. They just need a little bit more support. They need a little bit more nuance. They might need a little bit more structure of maybe like, I'm really good at this. I'm really willing to help with this little aspect. Maybe it's not so big on uh, rhythm. Maybe it's like, I'm good at reading eighth notes and quarter notes. If somebody needs help with that, come help. So instead of making it so broad, make it very specific is what I do for first graders, because then it's not so I'm going to get a question about anything about rhythm. The classroom building small groups in essence, it's building focus groups on what are we focusing on today? Let's find our experts, 15 minutes, a switch. So the experts are then the learners from different people. And it's, it's hopefully a way of empowering students to be self-adjusting, self-assessing, reflecting on their learning and really making sure that they know that they are the owners of their learning, but more importantly, that they have the power to grow. It's not just me pouring knowledge into their heads. It's them thinking about me removing myself from the front of the classroom to being on the side. And that is one thing that I love about Trevor McKenzie's infographic about the four different types of inquiry. I, I love the people on in the pool. I love the people in the pool. And if you don't have this graphic, you should, absolutely should. It's probably his most popular one. I love the people on the side because you can see different, the quote unquote teacher doing different things. They they go from in the pool, right with a student to out, kind of in the pool outside of the students to outside of the pool moderating what's happening. And it's just a very good explanation of what a teacher should be looking like in different ways of inquiry. How do you pull yourself out of the picture? And, and really just make yourself, I use the word facilitator a lot because that is really what I think I work to be. I want, I don't want to be the person that the kids always come to. I want to be one of them. I want to be one of the people because there's no reason Laura who plays piano for five years cannot be one of the experts about reading the rhythm. And I think that's something that's we try a lot in my classroom. So cool. All right. Final question for you. You'd mentioned that this was a goal for school. And I'm wondering, I mean, the end of this academic year is a long way off. But do you think that this is a goal you're going to continue to dig into in the next academic year? Or do you have your sights on something else? Ooh, well, you know me, Cindy, I always have sights on different things. I I have, I always have. <laughs> we'll say what? <laughs> You never. I know, right? I, I, I have. I always. I'm always busy. I've been working on this for now two and a half. It'll be three years in May. I'm very proud of the growth I've made. I'm very proud of what I've worked on in this with the students. I would like to see me continue this next year and fine tune some practices because with the COVID going online, distance learning, online distance learning, 
and face to face. There had to be a lot of tweaks right on the dot. And I don't know if that was the best I've ever done. So I'd like to see when it's more in person, if I could make those small tweaks and get a better result, like maybe more student initiated questions, maybe a little bit more student reflections, more thoughtful student reflections. So that's, that's something I've been thinking about. But then I'm also looking into like right now where I'm working with Toto about transdisciplinary connections and making authentic connections. And that's something that I'm reading a lot into and I'm very excited about. So maybe that's my next inquiry goal. Well, whatever you do, I'm sure we're all going to be excited to follow along with you on Twitter. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I hope so. I sometimes, I always sometimes worry. I was like, am I sharing too much? Never. Never, never. <laughs> we'll see. Well, and just so all the Recess Duty listeners know, we're going to have an accompanying blog on Toddle that is going to have like a curation of all of Levi's amazing images with a little bit more explanation how they connect to his goal. So I think that's a really cool resource to keep an eye out for. That's kind of like a companion to this mm-hmm. podcast. Yes. And something I was so excited about, Cindy, was when we were doing this, we have something for all learners. So if you're audio, if you're visual, if you're a reader, we've got something for all learners. So please, please check out the link below in the show notes. We'll send it out to them before this airs. So everybody will get all of the resources and everything. Awesome. Well, thank you, Levi, for being such an amazing learner for modeling. I mean, you are an assessment capable teacher and you're modeling the process of being a learner and being vulnerable and what an amazing example to set for your students. So thanks for chatting with me today. Thank you, Cindy, for coming and hosting this week's episode of Recess Duty. It's been a joy to chat about my own learning. I really enjoy sharing and continuing and learning with you all. Please be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss our next episode. I'm Levi Austin, and I hope you have a great day of learning, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Recess Duty. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, please share this podcast with other educators so they can join the fun. And that is the end of our recess duty.